With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. afternoon or morning wherever you may be whatever time of day it may be welcome to tales with tr so um you know i hate to start by talking about the coronavirus but uh, you kind of got to i hope everybody's doing okay out there and um staying safe i've uh i'm I've been walking. I get up in the morning because you got to stay active, right? It's tough. At least where we are, uh, I'm in Mount Pearl, Newfoundland. Uh, there are ac- there's access to some great trails, and uh, they close the parks, but there are a lot of trails. So you can, I can easily get up, go out, and go about my day on a hike, or and, and stay. I mean as far away as I want. There's not a lot of people out anyway. And on the trails, people are keeping a safe distance. And I mean, like, like a hundred yards type thing. There's, there's, I mean, it puts, puts everything in perspective when things like this happen. But again, I said, there are things you got to embrace the positives in time like this, times like this. And uh, for me, that's being creative. I'm now writing a little bit, doing some podcasts more than I had. And getting out there and being active, you know, like I miss hockey because I played, you know, five, six times a week. It was generally the, generally the source for 90% of my cardio was ball hockey and ice hockey. Because I don't like going to the gym and thinking about it and looking at the, you know, the video screen and trying to watch your favorite show while you're running or jogging or riding the bike. It's, it's not the same. Um, I, I just can't. I just can't do it. I, I can get a decent workout in, but you know, you, you're climbing mountains on the bike, for example, you know, you're looking down and you really got to think about the hard work you're doing while you got your headphones in, you're probably listening to your favorite songs or a podcast, or you're got it hooked into the TV and you're, you're watching the sports highlights, whatever it might be. But there's a level of like, you know, pleasure. You're trying to pay attention and you're very aware that you're, 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 you're working really hard now. People, most people can dig deep and do that. I can if I have to, 
but I really don't like that one-on-one battle with myself. I mean, I have confidence in my will. If I have to, I'll do it. But I'd rather get my cardio in by playing a sport. I've often said, for example, the boys around here know what I'm talking about. On Sundays, we go to St. Bond's little tiny tin can of a rink. I think the third third oldest in North America. Anybody who follows me on Instagram or Facebook knows what I'm talking about. But, uh, we go in there for like, the rink's not even big enough to play five on five. We play four on four. But you go hard and you're going against your buddies and it's a lot of stopping and starting and not just skating straight up. I mean, substitute St. Pons for any rink, really. I don't know why I singled that out, but I just mean like that's that's our most laid back skate. And it's still, you get a great workout at the end. I've often said it, I'd be at basketball, soccer, ball hockey. I just get like, I mean like 10 times better of a workout because you're out there, you're chasing after the ball or the puck and you're not really thinking about, you know, and you're, you're, the thought, at least for myself, if you're competitive, you know, the thought of figuring out how you're going to get that ball or puck into the net and, you know, how you're going to go about doing it, that's trumping all of the hard work uh, that your brain kind of has to concentrate on when you're working out by yourself. That's why I have so much respect for runners. I've always said it. You know, I've been captain of the Canadian ball hockey team that won the world championship. I'm in the Ball Hockey Hall of Fame in Canada. And thanks very much, by the way, George Gortzos, Tony Nito, and company, Paul Barron, Steve Power. I just got voted in last summer, and I was kind of young to get voted in. That was very much appreciated and uh, made me cry, actually. But anyway, point is, as a guy that's had that little level of success in ball hockey, I should be able to run long distances really well, but I don't. I'll be the first to tell you, I don't. I really respect people that do, but I cannot do it now. Now, can I end up at the end around the same time you do? Yeah, most people, because I, I, but it's like, I don't, I don't know if it's hockey training or what, but I go in spurts. Like, Like, I don't mind sprinting if I can just put my head down and go, okay, you know what? I got to sprint for three minutes. Just get it over with, right? But then I'll walk for three minutes, right? Now I might do it. I'll get there, right? And we might get there at the same time, but I find it so hard to run in one direction for like two hours. And so I've talked about here on like running marathons and things. That's false kind of. I've run those distances. I've done the beep test and finished at the end with marathon runners. Um, I'm confident in my cardio and all that, but, and I've done, I haven't done the tally 10, but I've done the distance. That's a race here in Newfoundland. There's always something on the go. It's on my bucket list. But when I do those things, yeah, I don't run all out in one direction for a long time. And that's maybe a, a misconception that I put out there unwillingly. But yeah, I have huge, huge respect for people that can do that. And like triathlon, man, like to me, these are, you could make an argument, couldn't you, about the best athletes? Like what is athlete? What they had here in Newfoundland a few years ago, you know, the the top 50 athletes. And um, I thought my dad should have been near the top of the list. And he might have been. I don't, he might have been. I, I can't remember. I don't think he was in the top five or 10. That would be Point being, my dad here was a great hockey player, obviously, one of the most successful ever, but he also won seven local batting championships uh, in baseball. 
and we do have decent baseball here. You know, like he was, I'm not talking slow pitch, none of that shit. I'm talking about hitting curveballs and stuff. I'm talking about going to the Canadian nationals. Dad made team Canada. Like he played, he made team Canada where other players played triple a, I'm not sure if anybody that got selected that year, he was only 15 and it was a result of having a great national tournament, but dad was a great ball player. And if you're talking locally, you'd have to put him up there. And, and to me, that's why, like, if you're near the top in two different things, Brad Guju, right, our, our curler that, you know, is world famous in, in certain aspects and certain pockets, for sure. You could make an argument that he's the best curler and his team, I should never say curler because even though he's a great curler, his team, that's one sport, you got to have a team. Uh, you got to have a team behind you. Um, but, you know, he also was one of the best golfers Newfoundland's ever seen. He was finishing the top five in the Nationals, you know. Now, are curling and golf, you know, how much athleticism in those sports? I think you include them. I do. But if you had someone that's, you know, combined say soccer and hockey i'm not pointing at myself i played soccer and everything growing up but i'm talking about you know you get and we were good actually we won an atlantic championship but i didn't play challenge cup which is like the local senior level here when i say senior by the way it's not like 60 and over that that's just senior amateur sports is is you know generally over 20 the odd younger guys or girl sneaks in but, you know, when I say my dad won batting championships, yeah, I mean like playing for St. John's Caps versus Cornerbrook, you know, playing in the local league that, you know, it wasn't show up and like drink during the game or any of that. It was very, they took the same approach it would in minor pro. It's same as senior hockey when I say that. Good Lord, we'd never have a beer. Like people look at my posts sometimes and they go, yeah, it's, you know, crack a beer. I'm like, it's before the game. Yeah, I know, but it's senior hockey. I'm like, yeah, it's not rec hockey. It's not beer league. It's senior hockey. It's a level of, it's the top level of amateur when we're playing senior A, like when dad played baseball, level A. It's the top level. In Newfoundland, we always look forward to going to the Nationals or the Atlantics. Like whatever you play, whatever sport, I don't know if it's where we're isolated, but the goal is to get away, right? It's to play in the Nationals and to win the, the, the provincial. So when my dad's team would do that, and he would always, if, if they didn't win, he would get picked up. And they'd go, and he would still hit against guys that pitched in the majors. Like, he was a good ball player. So when you say athlete and top athletes, whew, it's all, you know what? It's just a great conversation because it's so subjective. It's hard. Do you, does, is Danny Cleary in there for Newfoundland? You can make an argument he's number one. Right? You can make, he's got a Stanley Cup. He had a great career. I think he's the most games ever for Newfoundland or close to. But, um, oh, I think he has the most. Uh, 900 and some. But is that athletic accomplishment winning a Stanley Cup? And there's a difference. The top athletes ever. Being a Newfoundlander, a lot of people don't know the name Rod Snow. Um, well, they do, being a Newfoundlander, they do here. A lot of Canadians, you, you kind of probably would if you searched into it. You'd go, oh, I know that guy. Well, Rod was, is one of the best rugby players ever, I think, ever from Canada. 
definitely the best from Newfoundland, but we do have some unbelievable rugby players too. Shout out to my uh, buddy, Pat Perfrey, played on my hockey team this year. The Perfrey family, who was successful rugby. Uh, what we've had here on, uh, you know, we're, I often say most sports on, on the national level, you know, it's hard to compete because we have a small population, but ball hockey, curling, rugby, fast pitch, softball, we're right there. We can win the nationals. Well, with rugby, long before this era, Rod's about three or four years now, five or six years older than me. He's probably pushing 50. But Rod uh, left. He went to uh, Wales. He played for Cardiff. I know he played for a lot of teams, but I know Cardiff, he got his jersey retired. But Rod played ice hockey too, and he was one of the best. And oh my God, could he hit? And it was back in the day when you could hit the goalie. I grew up, I was eight, nine, 10 years old watching the Junior Blades play. Uh, maybe a little bit after that with Rod. I was, I was 12 or 13. Yeah, I was already, I get it mixed up. My dad coached the Junior Blades in the early 80s. And so I, I was always a fan, and I get the, the years mixed up that he coached and those that he didn't. But um, Rod was always unbelievable to watch. So to me, that's like, there you, you start talking athlete. He played a highly, a high level of two or three sports and was world-class in one. Now, Dan the Man Cleary was also a huge athlete, and he would have played, right? I can also say, well, my dad played baseball in the summers. Well, that's because he didn't make the NHL. Now, they let him, when he played in the WHA, um, hockey, you know, it was great hockey and, and it was rival league of the NHL. There's a story in itself. I won't digress and get right into it. But, um, you know, when he did, they didn't, they kind of looked past it, but had, you know, in this day and age, Danny Cleary didn't have the option to come back. He was a good everything. Danny was the type that could pick up a volleyball and be good at it. Right. So he had to concentrate on just hockey which shouldn't really be, shouldn't really penalize him. But and where am I? Where, you know, where am I? I'm talking about the best athletes from Newfoundland and that's so subjective. Uh, but at the same time, there are people, again, Brad Guzio being one that, you know, have uh, Darren Colburn, one of, a, I, I think he's either the leading goal scorer or close to the leading goal scorer ever in the East Coast Hockey League. But he's also one of the best hitters as well in baseball. And Darren could pop it over the fence. My dad hit for average. Never hit home runs, ever, ever. Short stops. My dad's, people see the way I played and they haven't met him and they see us carrying on. Dad's about 5'9". His first year junior, he was 149. Dad played at about 170, right? I'm, I'm a lot bigger than he is. But his motto in baseball was, I'll he, he, dad would choke up three inches if he had to, but you weren't going to blow it by him. That was his thing. He was like, as long as I can see it, I can put it in play. And I guess where he wasn't going for home runs, he could slap it anywhere, and he always had a good average. Um, where have I gone in this conversation? Well, it's still interesting, I'm, I'm thinking. I don't even know where it started, but it started with the coronavirus, didn't it? What was I going to say about it? How did I get here? Well, either way, it's interesting. If I was talking best athletes ever, right? The first best athletes ever. I know what you're all going to say, right? You'd, and I know where I'd start. I'd start with all the best of their sports, first of all. 
I'd open the door nowadays to women, second of all. I don't think I'd add a horse. I've seen lists, lists that like Secretariat or, or some of these great horses. What was the one Seabiscuit? Uh, but I think Secretariat, is it like number like eight on some like lists of the top athletes ever? No, I stop at an animal. I get it. I consider it a sport. Oddly enough, I do. But no, a horse is not going to be in the top athletes because it's, it's just not the same. Could the same horse, could Secretariat go out there and, you know, how's it going to play tennis, first of all? Anyway, I, I won't even, yeah, I won't get into it. But let's say you told me Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky or Serena Williams. Whatever, you can go down the list. Haley Wickenheiser. Muhammad Ali. Michael Phelps, right? Federer. But again, we're talking athletes and that's all athletic accomplishment. What blew me away and what still blows me away is Bo Jackson. So Bo Jackson comes along in the late 80s. You know what, younger people, he doesn't ever get talked about anymore. But it was incredible. It was incredible. There are players that have played a couple sports. Tom Glavin, a great pitcher for the Braves, uh, I believe. I'm not looking this up, but I, I, know, I know I'm right that he got drafted into the NHL. I think he got drafted to the LA Kings. I think it may be the fifth round or something. But he had a, And that's huge. You know, and he pitched in the major leagues and got drafted. Like that, to me, that's... We're breaking athletic accomplishment now, and we're saying, like, wow, that guy is an athlete. Well, Bo Jackson was an all-star in both. Bo Jackson would play baseball, and then when baseball was over, he'd go play football, and he was an all-star in both. It was incredible. And then it was so incredible that they had a, t a commercial about it. Google everything I'm saying. Call me on it. And it was Bo Knows, and he'd come out, and Bo Knows, the only thing he didn't know was hockey in the commercial. Wayne says no. It's funny. It's got to be on, it's got to be on YouTube. Google it, the Bo Jackson commercial. But it was incredible, and he was built like this, like, he was just a rock. Like, before that was kind of the way an athlete was built. Like, I mean, they were, of course, and to play football, you had to be to some extent. But it just, it, trust me, go back and look. It was like a caricature. It was like, wow, like when, when I heard Andre the Giant, like because I heard all these things about uh, wrestling, you know, when you're a kid. But when I heard Andre the Giant and I actually saw him, I'm like, whoa, that's a giant. That is a fucking giant. They're not kidding. When I saw Tony Twist, whoa, okay, next level. This guy is what they call a fighter. Well, Bo Jackson, oh, man. Watch any highlight in baseball, in football. He's going a million miles an hour, agile. He's finesse. He's everything. Even when he strikes out once, he breaks the bat over. Like, it's just incredible. It was like this caricature of an athlete. He was so dynamic and powerful and came out at you and, and, was, and was personable. You'd love hearing him get interviewed. That's what I loved about him.
too bad too. He got injured. I think it was football that he got. He just couldn't do either one anymore. It was it was a really sad story. Really, I mean, he was everything for a couple of years. It was right around the time that Wayne Gretzky got traded to L.A., and I believe it was just as big of a of a thing. Of course, I'm going on childhood memories. When I say around the time, it could have been within like a year, but most of my childhood memories are with a few certain friends, and I remember being with Gary Clark and Jeremy Charles and Blair Connolly. Blair comes up a lot in these stories. I remember going over to Blair's and uh, doing like a little mini video that we did, and we, we called it Bono's, and we, we went through the same actions as the commercial in our own backyard. But it was, uh, yeah, Bo Jackson. And then, of course, then, of course, when I said Michael Jordan, I wasn't thinking this, but Michael Jordan played baseball. And at the time he got shit. I think he only got shit because it was really weird for him to do it. Like it was, it was just a weird move. Think about it. Like he was in the prime of his career in the middle of, and I don't know what exact years and there was one or two missed here or there, but he was in the middle of winning six NBA championships. I don't know how many scoring, but, but you know, multiple of those two, he was the best player on the best team at the best time in his life with the best contract at the time with the best sneaker deal, which revolutionized everything. I, I really don't know. I'm not huge into basketball, but I'm into enough to know the legends. I watched all the, when the Raptors, the Raptors are doing awesome this year, watched all last year. I, I know the legends. I know the history of the legends. And I think, I think he revolutionized it with the shoes. I, I really don't know. But I remember being like going to St. Bonds, grade two, three, four, and everybody had to have Jordans. I don't remember anybody, any other players I didn't know at the time, let alone anybody with sneakers. Now I know every second player now has a shoe deal. But of course, they came after Jordan. Now, did Will Chamberlain before that? I really don't know. They were wearing those Converse, whatever you call them, around. Did someone come up with that? I don't know. I do think, though, nothing was as big as Michael Jordan, Air Jordans, when they came out. And it kind of is the reason that sneakers have uh, taken off. No, no, I won't say that. That players, I mean basketball players, with a shoe brand, why a lot of that is possible is because Jordan made it huge. I could be wrong. Call me out on it if I am. I'm going by my own personal memory, and I don't have the fucking time to research Michael Jordan, Air Jordans. And I know what they are. I know what they were important in my head. My facts could be slightly off. I'll tell you when they are, and they could be. But I'm not researching it. There's too much to do. And I mean that. We're stuck indoors with the coronavirus, but everybody's up in their game. You look at it, people got Instagram stories. They... They're creating dances, they're writing, they're posting. And I feel, I feel like, honestly, like I got to keep up. So the only thing that changed for me is hockey. You know, I was in the middle of not working anyway. I rely on, uh, you know, and, you know it's, it's as bad for me. People listen and trust me, I'm not making any money off this podcast. I mean, the, the well, minimum amount, you know, there's advertising, but. That doesn't pay the bills. Um, you know, I <clears throat> normally get hired to go out and give public speeches and do the odd hockey school. Like there's, there's, I have four or five 
sources of income. And they've all been cut off from this. And I, I, I you know, I'm a check to check guy. So just if, if any of the listeners, you know, I know you're all have it bad. Like I do too. Trust me. Trust me. I really do. Like I'm getting by and I think I can make this work. And I've, you know, a lot of people have reached out and, and bought some books and I'm certainly not complaining, nor am I throw, I'm throwing this out there. I'm merely saying this to be relatable. I get it. I get it. Right. I'm inside too. I get up, I go for a walk. I got to make the decision, you know, do I go to Costco or I guess now I'm not going nowhere, but you know, last week, do I go to Costco and spend more than I have, but it'll last me more in the long run. How long are we going to do this? You know? So maybe instead of go and get uh, Tim Horton's breakfast every morning, maybe I'll just stock up on eggs and everything else and bread and milk. And, you know, I, I made those decisions too. And I think I'm in a decent spot. I mean, I, I can't imagine the way some people are, are, are hurting. So, but I do know that there's a balance. There's no balance, but there, there is enough money out there for there to be a balance. If anybody's listening to this with a lot of coin, probably, probably not. But when I say a lot, I mean like wealthy, there's a difference between like rich and wealthy. And I, I mean, if I was wealthy out there now, boy, cause the government's I'm sure going to try to help, but, you know, there's no reason that anybody goes hungry here. There's not. There's enough wealth out there. And if that means that Richie Rich gets one less Dodge Viper next year, whatever it might be, did I date myself there? They still make those. Gets one less Corvette or whatever it is. Or eats a few less meals that involve $3,000 wine. No. If Johnny Rich Kid doesn't get to go to Egypt and see the pyramids on a private jet, is that really going to be a big deal? I'd take that money if I was rich even or, or especially wealthy. And I know that a lot will. And just, you know, lay, lay up on the extravagances for two weeks or, yeah, two or three weeks. Look around your neighborhood, whatever you're going to do. How are you going to do it? Figure out a way to put a nice percentage of the money back into the community. I just can't believe it doesn't happen more. We all do it. I mean, people I know, is, most people I know that I hang with are pretty middle class. They're um, check to check or close. Not that there's anything fucking wrong with that either. I mean, I'm writing a TV show here for a reason. I hope it catches on and I'm not check to check. But I'm not going to be the type that says, go fuck yourself to everybody. I mean, that's why I'm sitting here now with... Not as much money as I should have. When I signed, it's funny, when I signed, I signed for, but so my, my bonus was 1.25 million, but I didn't have any idea about tax. So 58% is taxed in Montreal and Quebec. And at the time for what I made, you know, right, for my tax bracket. And 4% was going to my agent, Mike Barnett, and 2% to my financial advisor at the time, John Cincibello. So 64% of that I didn't even get, and I had no idea. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I had no idea. So when they told me, I was like, what? Like, I, I, I just, those numbers were insane. At no point was I talking with my agent saying, I'm not going to take this. Like, honestly, I, I had no idea what I'd get. So when that came through, 
And again, it ended up being 400 something. So I, I remember the, my mom and dad came out West with me and I can't, they lost a lot of money when, you know, helping me try to make it. When I came home, I believe they took out a second mortgage or whatever they did. They took out their life savings or whatever it was. So I, I helped them out there back. I paid back what I think I owed them. They never would have said that, but it, it, I paid their house off, but it, whatever it was, it, it wasn't like $300,000, like 20 or something. And I bought them a brand new Cherokee. Um, yeah, that, that was it. Danny Cleary's father was a, a car salesman. And I was just chatting with Danny on the phone as we used to do back in the day. And he said, you know, T congrats on signing buddy. Maybe you should, uh, maybe you should call the old man. Mm. So I did, I called his dad and I said, go out there and pick out the nicest Cherokee you got. And he called me back. He said, I got one here, Terry, cherry red. I said, is it fully loaded? He said, yes, it is. The only thing it doesn't have leather seats, but I didn't really give a shit. And my parents certainly didn't give a shit. And I didn't want to wait because you could have ordered one in from Toronto or whatever. I said, now, Kevin, take that in, look, and put it in their driveway. And um, uh, that was a great day. It was at my billet's house. Great day. Just waiting. I, I knew that. <laughs> I, knew, uh, I knew the phone was going to ring. And when it did, boy, it was uh, what, a, what a great feeling, you know, to, to have bought them. It was $55,000. And I bought it straight up. It was, uh, I don't regret it, you know, and, and then, you know, I, uh, I did get divorced, you know, not, not now I'm saying Daniel and I split up, but we get along and we're, you know, we're going ahead financially. It's, you know, I'm still supporting and everything. I didn't cut any tie. We have a kid together. It's all different. My first marriage was in 2003 and I got divorced and, you know, lost at least half of what was remaining. Um, yeah, and I just wanted it over. So we didn't even go to court with it. We just agreed on whatever. And I think I was fairly generous given that we were married for less than a year and it was my money generally. I'm not knocking her either. She's a great person. I'm just saying like we came into the relationship. I think she was part-time hairdresser and you know, I just signed for seven figures, but whatever I wanted it over. So I paid for that and then I was so frustrated that I took $50,000 and I took me, my dad, and my buddy Francis Mooney and we went to Rome, Italy. We, we were gonna go around Europe for two weeks but dad loved Italy so much and there was so much to see in Rome. I gotta say, like, I ended up since getting a history degree, so, or oh, no, sorry, an arts degree. I took a lot of history courses and folklore is a lot like history, that's my major. Um, so I took them over there and we spent 50 grand. I know it sounds insane, but the flights and the hotels, and, and we didn't even extravagant straight. It was two weeks for three people. So yeah, I might've come back with a little bit more, you know, but whatever it was, pretty much 50 went towards that. And people like, so did you get it? Like, I just, you go through different times in your life and you gotta realize how much stress I was under for a while. And, you know, kind of, you know, with the whole, I expected to play way longer and feeling like I let people down. That, well, that's one thing. And then to get told you're not going to play hockey, and I didn't think I was. It got better, but not all the way. I could never go back to the NHL. But I didn't even think I was going to play senior hockey, like the way my ankle was. So I was pretty depressed. And then I got divorced. And, you know, there was just a lot 
and they'll be told, you know, the no hockey. I was so down and, you know, go over there with them. It just really, it was worth $50,000 and they enjoyed it. And it's a memory that we'll always have. And I remember saying, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out though. It's not like I'm going to come back and be a hobo. And I, and I wasn't, and I've had some rough times. I came close, but I wasn't. And it's a great memory and it was worth it. Um, and I've had some unfortunate, yeah, I got involved in Faces Magazine and trusted a good friend on that one. And anyway, that one under. Mm, we've had some bad luck. But, um, you know, I took, oh, you know, back in the day, people would say, oh, it's, I might have looked a bit cocky because when I went out for a few years, we went downtown like my friends didn't pay for a drink. But I really wasn't doing that to be cocky either. Looking back, I can totally see how it would have looked like I was trying to throw my money around. But it was my, it, and I didn't do it for everybody. My best buddies, man, growing up, and we were all just, none of us thought either one of us would. Jeremy Charles never thought that he would be one of the best chefs on the planet. I did not think I was going to get drafted to the NHL. Um, and, you know, Gary Clark, Craig Hodge, Mike Smith, you know, and at the time, Stephen Hancock was, you know, giving me great deals at Turkey Joe's if I brought my buddies. So I would. And so all my buddies that were there for me, thick or thin, uh, I took a few of them on a cruise three years in a row. Um, took some guys on my team in Tri-Cities. Uh, that's what they would do. Tri-Cities, you would, if you won an award, you got to go on a cruise two out of the three years I was there. So Damon and I, when we came into some money, we took a few of the boys that didn't that wanted to come that couldn't afford it. We took them on a cruise, life changing for them. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, I'd go out and spend money, or I'd go like if I was playing junior baseball at the time. It's weird playing for the Habs and come back in the summer and playing for the Mount Pearl and the junior baseball and taking it just as serious and like throwing my bat over the fucking backstop when I struck out, shit like that, like. Yeah, it just all stayed the same, my amateur sports life. And I loved it like that. I got a lot of shit on a lot at first. Now it's gone completely the other way. People respect me, and I'm still playing senior hockey, and they support me. Still hear the odd chirp, but it's more tongue-in-cheek. For a while, it was literal, like, fucking hate on. They were giving it to me. That's what I love, too. It's why sports are sports, man, home fans. In the case of me and Cornerbrook, away fans. But anyway... You know, so I'd take the Corvette. I'd let the boys drive it. We won the All Newfoundland, the Provincials out in uh, Cornerbrook, 98, 99, maybe. 97, 98. Uh, baseball, or 97 or 98. Uh, anyway, when we did, yeah, I remember I just I bought uh, everybody on the team a dozen beer. I brought them to the room. I took us all out to the bar. It was shit like that. Paid for all the guys' gas on the way home. Let the younger guys, being 17 or 16 or 17 at the time, drive my car. I was only 18 or 19 now, guys, so it's, it's not big of a deal. Um, 20. But, yeah, like, so people say, like, did you waste it? I, I guess kind of. It never really felt like that. Like, I never went out and bought myself. I did buy myself nice cars. I always had a nice car, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I had like a Camaro, nice car Camaro. I didn't overdo it now. I didn't get a Porsche or anything. Camaro. I had a used Corvette. I had a Jeep. Um, I had a Durango. Whatever it was, the evolution of my car buying is not really important here. Nothing's really important, is it, other than the virus right now? But um, 
yeah, it, it didn't feel like I was blowing any money. And, it, and a lot of it stayed around for a while. It's just, you know, life, life, uh, you know, sometimes it, it's ups and downs. And I, I, I really, if there's one person that has gone through ups and downs, man, I've, I've been as high as you could possibly go like that. In my knowledge, I'm sure you could get higher. The, uh, you know, kind of thing that happened to Jason Momoa kind of thing. But, you know, for me, I consider, still consider myself, you know, Mount Pearl, any of that hockey stuff. I, I, I'm still kind of really, it, it surprises me that I played in the NHL. I got to pinch myself. Um, so it feels like almost two different worlds, but all the experiences that I had, you know, and I used a lot of that money that I signed with. And man, I've been all over the world and I've got a great daughter. I mean, as far as ex-wives go and, and how those relationships get, Danielle's great. Um, I know I, I just wish I had a little bit more money, but fuck. I mean, is that the only thing? I mean, I can get by still, you know? And I got so many good memories and championships. And that's the other thing. Like, I've been playing on Team Canada ball hockey. And, you know, a lot of these th places you see me, like, I didn't pay to get there. Right? We, we've been all over. That's why I love competition as well. Like, it, it, it brings you to the, all over the world traveling. Right? So... You know, he saw me in Bermuda a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's because the Masters World Championship was there. And I flew down with Canada. Manitoba last summer. Yeah, it's because Aaron Ashram's a great friend. And we do Aaron's Chance to Play, um, which is a golf tournament. The money that we raise goes to kids that can't afford to play hockey. And we've got, oh, it's tens of, I think we have hundreds of thousands raised for that. We actually, we do. When I say we, it's mostly him. I just go and help him with it. And he flies me in. It's a great time. But you know what I mean? I have all these experiences um, through hockey. And I don't need a whole lot of money because, you know, that's not counted in salary or anything. But, you know, that's and, and a lot of these places that I speak at, you see me public speaking all over the world. Well, I'm not paying to go there. It would be ridiculous ridiculous um you know what i'm saying i i would if i could if i was a millionaire but i'm not and i everybody wins they fly me in and pay me a certain figure and i might even sell some books here and there and um you know i tell some stories and entertain the crowd so to speak at least most of the time i do i've had some crash and burns <laughs> like we all have in that world But for the most part, you know, I can relate. You can, I can talk about a lot of things, right? I even did stand up for a while, but I'll tell that next time. How long have I been going? Because my guest today, guys, is incredible. I'll get into that in a minute. And he's coming on shortly, but that means nothing to you, does it? Because I'm going to press pause and wait for an hour or so and then he's going to come but before he gets here i'm going to tell you a bit about him and before i tell you a bit about him i want to say this to mcdonald's so you know i used to eat at mcdonald's a lot when i was a kid and it didn't really matter i told a great story with uh, or ken reed told a great story today about hockey cards 
and it's actually I, I was in this McDonald's set hockey cards uh, in, in 97 or 98 prospects coming into the NHL there's only like 10 prospects in the set and I I had no idea I was in it until I was in there I, I, I would get a my, my go-to order was a Big Mac combo and a McChicken if I was still hungry I'd order another Big Mac I ordered every burger on the menu at one sitting in Tri-City and ate them all and the boys were there to, to see it I'll tell that another time but um so, yeah, uh, I was, oh yeah, what was I saying? Anyway, yeah, the, the, the burgers, of, of, that was my go-to order. And that was my first knowledge of the McDonald's hockey card, which is really weird. Usually, you know, going in, right? You don't find out ripping out, ripping open a pack in McDonald's in your hometown. And I, I still don't know how I made it into that set. Uh, but anyway, um, McDonald's. So. I'm curious. So I go up normally, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I get either McDonald's or Tim Hortons every morning. I get a coffee uh, and I get a breakfast sandwich. There's a lot of places or, or A&W actually. If I have time to go in and sit, as many people know, I like if I'm going to sit, it's going to be in A&W because you can have an old traditional breakfast with, you know, sunny side up eggs, whatever it might be. And you can't do that at the other places. So if I got time, that's where I go. I flip open my laptop. I check the news. I do some writing smoke half a joint, have some coffee, yada, yada, yada. I have a great morning. If not, if I'm on the fly, I'll go through McDonald's or Tim Hortons, like I said. So I go through McDonald's yesterday morning. I'm going, oh, and they're talking about this chicken McMuffin breakfast sandwich. I'm like, okay, I make a chicken omelet once in a while at home. I often wondered why they don't put more chicken in with breakfast meat. So boom, I'm going to order one. Chicken breakfast sandwich, chicken McMuffin. So I do, I get it order it, look in the bag. Okay. They forgot the egg. So I go back and I didn't realize, I thought it was going to be like, maybe you're talking about a chicken breakfast sandwich. So I thought it was going to be the grilled chicken that they put on the wraps. Not that I'm opposed to eating the fried stuff once in a while. I do eat well. I have to I have high cholesterol. It's genetic, but you know, breakfast sandwich, whatever. I thought it was going to be uh, grilled, but eh, okay, I'll try it. But anyway, there's no egg. So I go back. I say that they do. Why don't I, I ordered a, a, a chicken McMuffin, not a, a McChicken. She said, that is a chicken McMuffin. I said, well, where's the egg? She said, well, there's no egg on it. I said, well, I told you I wanted a chicken breakfast sandwich. That's what I, she goes, this is a chicken breakfast sandwich. I said, well, it's not a chicken breakfast sandwich. This is a McChicken on an English muffin. This isn't. She said, well, no, there's no McChicken sauce. <laughs> That cough was uh, me drinking coffee that went down the wrong way, by the way. Not that you can get coronavirus over the listening to a podcast, but, and who knows? I'm not saying I don't have it, but I've been nowhere and I have no symptoms. So I doubt it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so a chicken McMuffin, like <laughs> McDonald's, like be a little bit more creative. Don't piss on my back and tell me it's raining. That wasn't. A, a breakfast sandwich that was McChicken patty thrown on to an English muffin and literally nothing else. There was, there was nothing more to it. That's what it was. Now, am I upset? Not really. I just think it, it's an observation. <laughs> I guess anybody could do that. I could, 
you might say to me, I might serve you lasagna. You might say, Terry, this isn't lasagna. This is lasagna noodles wrapped around a cheeseburger. I guess it's up to me. I'll say, no, it's lasagna. It's my lasagna. Who are you to tell me it's not, I suppose? So I guess, like the girl said, it is a, it is a breakfast salmon. I'm like, I guess it is. Like, you can't tell me that car is not a car because it's a car. But I suppose a breakfast sandwich, how you make that changes person to person, I suppose. But I know, and you know, that that ain't a chicken breakfast sandwich. <laughs> At least give me the grilled or give me the egg. But you're just slopping that chicken patty that is going to go on to a McChicken in 10 minutes onto an English muffin. That's a McChicken on an English muffin. And I guess you could keep going. They're just mixing ingredients is all they're doing. They've come up with nothing new. I don't know why I'm so bothered by it. It's just like, you're not fooling me. Have your surf and turf burger. Just take the filet fish patty and toss it on a Big Mac. There you go. There's your surf and turf. I, I guess they could, couldn't they? Because it is surf and turf. That's, that's a worse example. Because the, the chicken on a McMuffin, on, on, on an English muffin, that's not breakfast. You, I guess you could say it's a chicken breakfast sandwich, but it's, it's not really a breakfast sandwich. That's my point. It's a chicken sandwich. So that really is surf and turf. It's just not really creative. It's just not that they're going to do it, but slopping a filet fish onto a McChicken or, or onto a Big Mac is more real to surf and turf than chicken slapped between two or between an English muffin patties or an English muffin patty? No. Slap between two sides of an English muffin is not a breakfast sandwich. It's simply not. Here, put, put an egg on a quarter pounder. There's your farm, farm burger. You might say, what are you talking about? Well, it's a farm burger. There's eggs on farms and beef there. But you've done nothing new, McDonald's. But, but are you trying to tell me that, well, it's what we're calling a farm burger. But why don't I just order a flail fish and a quarter pounder and mix them up and then I got two? No, no, because it's not a farm burger. I guess you could just keep going with this argument. I just find it really disappointing. I was looking forward to this new chicken sandwich that McDonald's had, not realizing that all I had to do is order a few things and shape but Mr. Potato Head, change around their ingredients and presto. I've got one. I could have had one 10 years ago. This brand new sandwich that they have, I could have ordered in 1987. by mixing and matching. Anyway. Why in the name of God that upset me so much? I really don't know. I really don't know. It just pissed me off. Because we're not all idiots. Don't treat us like that. Okay. I'm grabbing a coffee. I'm coming right back. I don't even really need to say that because of this genius pause button I have. There we go. Nice, fresh coffee. Coffee. Just because. I tell you, if you haven't already, 
go to the podcast, How It Began, and listen to the coffee episode. It's by Brad Harris. Trust me on this. Trust me. You might not be interested in coffee or how anything began, but I'm telling you that this will blow you away. And he's also a great narrator. And he has some awesome sound effects. You're right there. I'd like to recommend smoking a joint that's not too potent, but not really light. Maybe something 12 or 13%. Here in Canada, maybe if you go to Tweed, maybe a City Lights brand. Smoke a little bit of that. Get in the bath. Light a candle or two. If you're like me and you'd rather, I like candlelight all the time. My head often hurts from the light and I take a damp towel, cold or wet, but real cold or real wet, one or the other. And I put it on my head and I just lay back and I close my eyes and I put the cloth over my eyes, man. And I listen and it's like time travel. Now there's more that I'll recommend, but how it began Start with coffee, because what coffee did for the world blew me away. It's a major reason, one of the major, major reasons that we're here civilized, talking like we are talking now. And you'd never guess why. Well, there's a lot of reasons why, but the whole story just blew me away. Anyway, folks, so the guest I have this week, just... I got to give a bit of a background because he's going to come on and, and a lot of your hockey fans going to go, who the fuck is Joe Lazito? Well, I got to know Joe in the late nineties. He was a hockey fight fan. I believe he worked, I believe he worked for a hockey card company for a bit. I think anyway, we'd get to talking and I'd play in the New York area. Well, Philadelphia. Uh, and when I say area, I mean, within three hours, guys were in the AHL and in the NHL. At the time, well, the NHL hasn't changed much. The AHL has. Most of our games were on the Eastern Seaboard. Like there were, All those teams like Boise now, they're in the East Coast League and Anchorage and San Diego. They were all in another league, the West Coast League. And then there's um, – yeah, they weren't even in the East Coast Hockey League. And then there's teams like Houston in the American League and uh, Salt Lake City. And they weren't in our league either. It was all on the Eastern Seaboard. And there was only 16 teams. There was an IHL, right? The IHL was also the minors and NHL teams were affiliated, but it wasn't our league. And that was mostly the West and the Midwest and all that. So me and Joe, point is I, I saw Joe at a lot of games and he was a big hockey fight fan. And he would, uh, he would come down after and he'd give myself and Aaron Asham and Jerry Fleming and Gordy Dwyer and Darcy Harris, Sylvain Bluin, Cheech, Alan Nazardine, coach of the devils now. Bunch of us that dropped the mitts. Dave Moore said, I don't want to leave anybody out. Actually, everybody dropped the mitts back then, so I am leaving people out, obviously. Um, but he would come down and he would, he would get recordings of the games and send us like copies of the fights and stuff, and we'd get talking. And He became a friend. I believe I gave him a jersey after one game. I think I wasn't allowed to either. I kind of... Lifted it out of the room. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the cab, the, the, back, back then the Habs, and even now I think, they would often, like we would wear a different jersey every game because they, they would make so much money um, 
reselling them and auction them off. And for charity, I don't think they're, I, I don't really don't know, but the way I understood it, you know, the, the money was, it was fundraising for a reason. So I'm not knocking them for that, but so often after the game, the jerseys just went into this big laundry basket, but they would often, we would be told that they were, we were letting them go or whatever. So anyway, Joe was around. I worked out some deal with one of the trainers. I don't want to say who, and I uh, gave Joe my jersey. But anyway, so we stayed in touch. That has nothing to really, it does. He would have been on this show anyway if I could have because he's a buddy. But in like 2009 or 10, Joe's on a New York subway, okay? And this dude comes on there. Like, I'm going to let him, I don't even want to look at the story because I want to be fascinated by it. And I hope you guys, you know my audience, or my audience, you guys know me that if I had to, I'd do the research and most things, if I have to, if it has to do with the point I'm trying to tell, I don't want to tell a story that's not true. So I will do my research to a point, but I want to hear about this. He, the New York subway hero. Some of you now are going, oh yeah, that happened. Happened about a decade ago, roughly. And anyway, he was on there and the cops didn't even intervene. And Joe did. And this guy had a knife and I, I think he was going to kill somebody. He'd, he'd already killed his, at least his father. I think he was on a killing spree and this was day three or four. Anyway, Joe goes over and slew foots him and gets the guy down. And Joe gets stabbed like four or five times, but he doesn't die. And they get the, and they, they get the dude and his killing spree's over. So Joe didn't just save the subway. He saved a lot of other people indirectly that would have been attacked. And he's got such a crazy story beyond that. He ended up getting into it. I believe he had legal issues with the, uh, or he sued New York City. And he's got a book out about it. So I'm going to let him tell that story. It's quite entertaining. It's, it's, will change some people's lives. I mean that. Because it could happen to anybody. And just hearing this story, so I, I, I'm often motivated to go, wow. Why? I hear some of these stories. People see me doing volunteer work. It's often selfish. Because it's after like a story like this, and I, I'm going, oh my god, I'm not doing enough, and God, how do I, how do I be a better person? <laughs> and you, you, you know, I think a lot of us get like that. But anyway, Joe's a great guy. Uh, he's remained my friend since my friend since we met in the '90s, uh, and just a, a case of a guy being a hockey fan, and uh, I just really hit it off with him. So. There he is texting me now. Okay, so we're going to get this going shortly again, which means nothing because you guys are all the way out there and I'm all the way here and I can start the podcast whenever I want and you can press play whenever you want. There's something comforting to that, isn't there? There's something comforting to that. And the worst things get in many, in many aspects, mental toughness, they have to get better because we're forced. We're forced to come together here and uh, be strong. Anyway, stay tuned. Joe Lazito coming up next. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is a hockey fight fan and hero of a man. I met him one night after a hockey fight. While I was getting jabbed, this guy was getting stabbed. 
I often battled hard when I would play, but this guy saved lives on the subway. He's a real nice guy, clever and witty. And one day said, fuck it, and sued New York City. He has a tough guy look and even wrote a book. In a real-life thriller, he took down a killer. When I'd watch the Jacksons, I'd say Motito. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my good friend, Joe Lazito. Uh, I got I don't know. That is brilliant. I don't know how to follow that. That's amazing. Well, I figured, because I knew you were wondering, how the hell am I going to rhyme with Lazito? Because Padona was also a challenge. But I knew you'd think I was going to say mojito, I, th I, I guess, the drink. So I figured, how can I really give him something that, because there's only certain things, or maybe a bill I'd veto, or there's only so many ways. But I didn't think, I didn't think you'd ever think, give me mojito Jackson. Well, that was brilliant. Uh, actually, based on our discussion yesterday, when uh, when Andrea was listening to the Padolan episode with me, and she, the only thing she said is, uh, "What's he going to rhyme with libido, libido, or whatever?" And I said, "I actually don't know." So that was good that you hit me with that. Also, libido, I knew was an option. Dorito, but I was stretching it, and I I, I wanted something original. And good on her, good on yeah. her for thinking ahead because that is exactly where I went first. About three or four words, and that was one of them. That was tremendous. Now listen, so you've got an unbelievably interesting story, and yeah. I can't wait to catch back up with this. And uh, to the listeners out there that don't know, I just want to give a little bit of a background. And I have, earlier in this episode, I just kind of explained it, but now with you here, maybe you can lightly fill in some blanks. Uh, so I remember meeting you in the late 90s, and you were a big fan of the hockey fights, and still are. And we're real nice. Come to the games. And we got to know each other after a bunch of the games that I play. I think I gave you a jersey. And then we would talk about, um, you know, hockey fights. And I had some and you had some. And you sent me some tapes and I sent you some. And Friday nights with Senior, which a lot of people know if they follow me at all. And on Friday nights, my dad and I watch hockey fights and goals. And we listen to music and, and drink some beers. Well, your tapes that you sent back up to us became every week, and they were, they were uh, fixtures of Friday nights for years. And we kept in touch here and there. And then, and we never, we never went too long without, and especially with Twitter, it was great to catch back up with guys like yourself. So I know what's always going on. But in the, so that's to the listeners that might go, who the fuck's Joe Lazito? Well, that's first of all who Joe Lazito is. But second of all, and there, I know there's a lot of blanks to fill in, and we will. Joe was on, he was, you know what? We're going to have to do this. You're going to tell this story because me doing it first is kind of going to give an injustice. Tell us the story. Joe is the New, the New York subway hero. This came way after that we'd met and I couldn't believe it. And as I was downstairs, Joe, telling the story that you're about to tell, I, at one of, it was so fucked up. It was one of those Friday nights that we were watching one of your fight tapes that you sent me. It was like, I don't know, bird dog one, or it was one of those. Yeah. And um, we were watching it. And one of my buddies was telling me this story. And then he said the name, Joe Lazito. And I said, you gotta be kidding me. I said like, I know a Joe Lazito <laughs> down that way. Anyway, Tell us what happened. I know this is going to be a long answer and you're, you're sick of telling it, but really, this uh, reaches a lot of similar-minded people. I love you. And tell us what happened on the subway in what year, 2011? Uh, that was 2011, yeah, definitely. And uh, 
I'll tell the story. I'm not sick of telling it. And I've told it for uh, many people who I don't love as much as you. So uh, as long as you have the time, I will definitely tell you. But I do want to say, uh, I do want to revisit whether it's now or another time, uh, how we met and uh, a few other things, because I think it's kind of funny. So um, yeah. yeah, so basically, um, at the time that this happened, I was living in Philadelphia, and I was commuting to New York every day. And um, I got up it was a Saturday morning like any other work day uh got up and my routine consisted of two train rides uh, uh well, I drove to New Jersey and uh I took the train from New Jersey to Penn Station and then from Penn Station is a subway ride it's a quick subway ride less than five minutes and um the the funny part about this is you talk about the hockey fight aspect the day before well the night before I was up really late because this was back when the Islanders and the Penguins uh, had the Islanders had their revenge game, and it was just brawl after brawl after brawl, and they beat the shit out of the Pens, and they beat the shit out of them on the scoreboard. And with something like this happening, I couldn't go to sleep. I was excited. I was NHL Network. I was just everywhere. I, I didn't I didn't want the night to end because it was the most excited I'd been for a hockey game in forever. So keep in mind, then the next morning I'm probably working on about four hours sleep or so, and the first part of my commute was fine, nothing. I get to Penn Station, and um, I go to the uh, subways. And for anyone that's not familiar with New York, um, the way the subways run is there's uh, one train that's local, which makes every stop, and there's two trains that make express stops. This particular day, um, the train I take is the local, and they were doing track work. So every train, whether you got the local train or the express train, was making express stops. So no matter which one I got, I was going express. The reason why this is an important part of the story is they're on separate tracks. And this has happened numerous times. And in all the times it happened, I had never once switched the track. I always stayed on the regular track. This day, for whatever reason, I said, you know what, I'm going to go on the other track. I had never done it before that, and I haven't done it since. But that day, I went on the opposite track. And because I figured two trains go on that track, I'm going to get there a lot quicker. That's what I thought. So anyway, I go to the other track. The train pulls up, and a uh, door opens. I go in, and I'm basically sitting right behind the guy who drives the train. The only thing separating us is a wall. It's a, it's a metal wall. My My... Uh, right shoulder is basically would be touching his back if there was no wall there and we're sitting there normally it's about 10-15 seconds doors open doors close that's it well we stayed there for a couple of minutes and next thing I know these two police officers get on and they walk right into where the uh, driver is now that never happens really if police are going to go on the subway they just stay in the middle of the car with everybody else and I'm like whatever I didn't think anything of it. They went in there. Finally, the doors closed. And now what happens is we start moving, but we're crawling, crawling at a snail's pace, which never happened before. There are times you go slow. There are times you stop. Never went this slow before, which raised a little bit of a red flag, but so be it. It's New York City. You know, Senior could tell you all about New York City from his experiences. I know he's told me some good stories about his time there, but it's New York City, whatever. So um, next thing I know, this guy walks up to the door that the uh, cops went in and starts banging on the door and the guy behind the door says, who are you? Oh, the guy, guy says, let me in. So the guy behind the door says, who are you? He says, I'm the police. 
The guy behind the door says, you're not the police. And with that, the guy turns around and walks away. Now, keep in mind, the guy who banged on the door, door thought he was talking to the engineer where he was actually talking to the police. And on the door, there's a window. So you can see through the window on both sides. So the police saw who it was, which is a key part of the story later on. So when this first guy walks back, there was a guy standing next to me. Now he runs to the door, but he, he looks scared shitless. He's tapping on the window, waving them out because he saw the cops go in, banging on the door, waving them out, banging on the door, waving them out. And I swear to God, look like he's going to drop a, a load of shit right in his pants. And now I'm going, this is a little weird. And while the guy's tapping on the door, trying to get the cops to come out, he keeps looking over his shoulder, looking for the first guy. Um, Eventually, the first guy decides to come back up this way so that the second guy hightails it back next to me. And now I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So <clears throat> the first guy comes back. He stops about three feet from the door, about two feet from me. He looks down at me. Uh, we make eye contact, and he says, you're going to die. You're going to die. And he reaches into the back of his jacket. He pulls out an eight-inch chef's knife and just plunges it right into uh, my left cheek under my, under my eye. So, wow. <clears throat> Yeah, and and you know, because I know you're, I know you're a movie buff, and and you like the arts and things like that. So it's, it's, I tell people it's really the part of the movie. I'm sorry, the movie, where it goes in slow motion because when he took the knife out, it took the whole thing took probably less than two seconds. But I actually saw the knife. I saw it was dirty. It was, it was just, I'm like, holy cow! Really, when I think about it now, it definitely was like in slow motion. So. After he stabbed me in the face, he brought his arm back again to go back at me. And at that point, I just decided, well, it's, he's going to either kill me if I don't fight back or he's going to, you know, he could kill me if I do fight back. And I lunged at him and I went for, I was going for his legs to take him down and actually ended up going into hide and ended up being like a football tackle. So while I got him down, I didn't have control of his arms. So while I'm taking him down, he's stabbing me in the head the side of the head, the back of the head. Thankfully, he didn't go too far down from the back of my head or else he would have got my spinal cord, but thank God he didn't do that. So he's, while he's stabbing me, I take him down, and now I'm on top of him, and he's still got the knife in his hand, and he's, like, flailing it up at me, and um, I'm, trying to get it, I'm trying to catch his wrist. So the first time he does it, I miss, and he stabs me. I, don't, I never remember if it's the thumb or the tricep, but let's just say the thumb. So the first time he, he flails up, he slashes me in the thumb, basically like where the webbing is, where your thumb meets your hand. Second time I miss again, he slashes me in the tricep. Finally, the third time I catch his wrist, I slam his hand down, the knife pops out. I'm on top of him. A second later, here comes the police, like the cavalry coming out, tapping me on the shoulder saying, you can get up now. We got him. So that's, that's the incident. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but uh, I didn't know if you wanted me to stop there and you can uh, go well, on. Yeah, first of all, to, to paint a picture, I have a great picture. I've been to New York and all over surrounding area with like a chicken with my head cut off. So I have an idea though, because I've ridden those subways. A lot of people don't, but you put, you put a great picture in our, in our minds, but tell people how big you are. How big were you at the time uh, in relation to the guy that did it? So I'm 6'2", and around that time, I was probably 265, 270. He was probably six foot six one, and maybe 185, 190. Uh, 
but he was really hopped up on I don't know how many drugs, so he wasn't feeling any. Well, and he, and and he knew what he was going to do. You 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 yeah. only made sense of it as yeah. you were, as you were being slashed open. I mean, I I can't believe that. How many other people were on that particular train behind you? Well, in the car, uh, it was pretty full, even for a Saturday morning. I mean, it wasn't like a jam-packed uh, rush hour train, but there had to be probably. 20 25 people when it first started and then when i finally got up there might have been five or six everyone else kind of hightailed it into the other car and, and i don't blame any of them I, I mean who knows what you do in that situation nobody is uh, expecting a maniac with a knife to attack someone so I, I don't there's only two people i hold responsible that are on the train that day and it's not any of the people in the car that didn't have guns well yeah exactly so i'm going to get to that in a minute so you Right, that that final moment, and, and there's a term for it. I've read, written, uh, read, I've read, I've read books, um, and there's a term that you remember it so vividly because your mind, um, you know, it's part of evolution. Like you remember scares or like joyous moments, all these things that you remember vividly in your life. It was the peak of some kind of emotion, so that you know your mind doesn't have to fill in as many blanks because it was so important to you at the time, which obviously something like that and so traumatic that you remember each of it. So like when you came down that you remember each part of it. I mean, when you came down, um, are you, are you on top of them? I'm not, I'm not, I've never been in a situation like you're talking about. I didn't mean to relate to it. I just, no. mean, you, you mentioned earlier about it happening in slow motion. And I yeah. often, yeah, I often hear people say that, but there, there's also parts I'm sure that slipped through your head and you don't know what happened because you were being, basically attacked. I, I was merely trying to relate to what you were saying that way. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah. No. Off. So basically the, the slow motion part was the part where he took out the knife and said, you're going to die. And then it was almost like as soon as he, um, you know, swung his hand towards my face, then it sped up again. The slow motion part was just the part where he whips the knife out. Why? Everything, everything else went full speed after that. So. And when, so when it was done, like when you're on the ground, how yeah. did you, were, were you, on top of them for a manner of seconds before the cops came in? Yeah. I mean, basically it probably took me longer to tell you the story than the whole incident. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was probably, I mean, I, I guess as long as it would take you to, uh, you know, like swing your hand in like a, a stabbing motion, like it, it would probably be do that three times. And then next, because the third time is when I caught his uh, wrist and I got the knife out and that's when they came out. So, they were they were basically watching the whole thing go down, and they didn't want to come out until the threat was uh, neutralized. So, and I, and I, I don't incredible. like to say that because it makes me I'm not trying to brag or anything because I'm not. I was in a life or death situation, and I did what I had to do, and I'm not bragging about it. And that's another reason why I'm pissed off at them because when I say things like that, it sounds like I'm I'm bragging about it. I'm really not. I'm just stating the facts. Oh yeah, and uh, for those that know me. I'm a pretty straight shooter and yeah, what Joe said, Joe's one of the best people. And I mean, I, Joe, there's a lot of people at the time. I mean, everywhere we, and especially in the peak of the hockey cards and stuff, like there were a lot of fans that were trying to take advantage of us, you know, as young prospects and everybody, you were always real nice and you know, you can tell the difference and I can count them on one hand over the years, the amount of hockey fans that I ended up being friends with my whole for lifelong friends, like a teammate like this. But I knew that. And it, this doesn't surprise me. I've, I've talked with Ash about it. I'm like, of all the people that had to make a move like that, like that we've met, you know, who, who you think it would be, right? It was you. That's why, <laughs> that's why it's, it, it almost, um, it doesn't surprise me, but 
it, 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 it astonishes me the situation, but the fact that you made out like you did certainly doesn't surprise me now. So this dude that, it, that did it. Yeah. Um, what was his name and explain to people because he was on a bit of a killing or a stabbing spree, wasn't he? Yeah. So his name is Maxim Gelman and I was the last victim and I hate using that word, but it's just easier to say, you know, I was the last victim. And then the prior 28 hours, uh, he was on a killing spree, uh, started 28 hours before where he, um, killed his stepfather. And, you know, the reason why he killed his stepfather was because he wanted to borrow the car and the stepfather kind of gave him a little static about it. So, uh, he ended up stabbing him about 55 times. And at one point, the original thing he was stabbing him with actually broke. And that's when he picked up the knife that he ended up attacking everyone else with. So he's stabbing his stepdad uh, numerous times. Whatever it was that he had originally broke, he grabs this knife, stabs him 55 times. No one's surviving that. He takes off. Um, after that, he, uh, the, the story goes, he was actually leaving the city Nobody knew where he was going, but then it, for whatever reason, he decided to turn around. And when he came back, uh, he was based out of Brooklyn, as was his circle. And there was a girl that he really, he really liked, but she didn't like him back, and who could blame her, right? Um, so he went to her house looking for her, and she wasn't there. But her mother was there, and her mother wouldn't give her up or anything like that. And he ended up uh, stabbing the mother, killing the mother. Well, as the day goes on, uh, you know, Brooklyn... People that don't know Brooklyn, you may have heard about it. There are certain communities that are very tight knit, and you know something. Ha it's probably a lot like where you're from, Terry. Um, you know something happens; it get word gets around quick. And I think at some point, word got around to Yelena, the daughter, and she went home to check on her mother. And when she got home, he was basically right behind her, and um, he confronted her and he stabbed her. He basically, right in front of her house, almost took her head off. Basically, almost decapitated her. Um, so. Those were the three people that he murdered with the knife. A fourth person that he killed while he was doing all this, while he was on the run, he was carjacking people left and right. And uh, while he was on the run, he ended up hitting a guy that was just, I mean, really wrong. I mean, we're all, I guess, wrong place, wrong time. He's literally crossing the street and he just runs, you know, runs him over. It was, uh, uh, you know, no, no skid marks, no break, nothing, you know. And um, so he basically goes, uh, you know, head over heels, comes down, he ends up dying. So he killed four people. He attacked three or four others, and I was the last one. That's incredible. You were literally on death's door. Um, I'll tell you something, too, and your experience is one. I've had a few epiphanies in my life, but not many. And when I heard that story, I was just like, I was trying to think of the odds of you being on there. And I'm telling you, and I'm going to use this, this, this slot here to explain to people, because I get a lot of shit from some people that about not being religious, but I'm not like atheist. And I don't think, because I've often said, I don't think everything happens for a reason. Otherwise, like, why would my buddy Todd Klassen die in a car accident in 19, a Pittsburgh prospect? Why, why do yeah. people, you know, die at birth? And why is there so much tragedy? But, but, but. So everything happening for a reason, I don't write. It's hard for me to believe that there's any God of any, in any religion that would allow that. But I do believe in some kind, the closest religion that I, I, I believe in it would be maybe Buddhism where like, you know, positive energy and there's things that, you know, maybe we could, maybe we can communicate uh, telepathically. We don't know how much of our brain we use. There's, there's things that I believe that get brought together. I don't think everything happens for a reason, but I believe that some things 
due to positive energy, what it might be, can be drawn to maybe occur. Again, these are just happenstance ideas that I might have because we don't understand why we're here, like the meaning of life, what is it? But things like that, Joe, and knowing you and the type of person you are and trying to think of everybody that could have been killed had you not stopped that guy and thinking of who would go through that and have the, even though it was quick, even though it was quick, you still, there's a lot processing through your brain as that's happening. And you took this guy down. So I, I, I want to say that it just, and, and I want to make it clear for people listening. So I do, I'm not a negative. I'm, I'm not an atheist, although I respect them, whatever it might be, but, but I don't associate myself with a religion, but this is the type of thing. This is my religion, you know, positive things like this happening and people, you know, taking down Joe, the odds on you doing that that day were one in a million, man, one in a, well, one in a million, yeah. like literally they were one in whatever New York is 10 million. Um, but now tell me now what happened. So he was on this kind of spree was the reason that the cops were there. They were looking was someone onto this guy. Had he done it that day, you know, right before why was, and, and what were the, re the ramifications of what went down from your perspective? Which basically, why did you sue New York City? So uh, the answer to your first question is what happened was uh, he didn't kill this person, but uh, at some point he, um, he was in the subway tunnels. He was, uh, he was on foot. Once he ditched the cars, he was on foot. And he was walking through the subway tunnels. And at one point he was in a subway station. I think it was 96th Street, uh, which is about 30 blocks from where I work. And he approached a woman who was reading the newspaper and she actually had the page turned to his page. And he said, you see what they're writing about me? It's fucking bullshit. He swats the paper out of her hand. Thankfully he didn't do anything to her, but she obviously recognized him. She runs up to the uh, street level, calls the police and says, listen, I, I just saw Maxim Gelman. I'm at the 96th street station. He's in the tunnels, whatever. So you know, the whole thing, like you see on TV, the movies, the police, NYPD, put out APB, we're going in the subway. So they basically sent, I don't know how many hundreds of police officers into the subway system. So, and this is going to play more off of your, your theory about why things happen, because that's going to blow your mind. So uh, they send all these guys down into the subway system. So that's why the police were on the train. That's why they went into the, um, the driver's compartment so they can go through the tunnel slow with their lights on so they can see if he's on there. And I'm sure that scene was replayed over and over again uh, on different trains. So the three things that you need to know that will support your theory about everything happens and what you believe in this and that is the first thing is what I already said. I went to a different track that I had never gone to uh, and have never gone to since uh, when the same thing, my options were the same. The second thing is, um, I actually wasn't supposed to work that early that day. I had switched my shift with one of my coworkers. I actually wasn't supposed to be at work that early. I was supposed to be there about three hours later, but she needed to uh, look at a school for her kids. So I said, sure. So if I didn't switch with her, I wouldn't have been there that day. And the third thing is, the only person who helped me, and like I said, I don't, I'm not being critical of anyone who took off that day out of the car, but one person stayed and helped me. His name was Alfred Douglas. He was a construction worker and he was actually off that day, but decided to go into work to check on the progress of the project. So those are three things that really 
you know, have to happen in order for this to, you know, come full circle in a way, because if I don't switch with my coworker, this, some, someone else, he's, he's going after someone else who knows what happens. Um, and if, um, if Alfred Douglas isn't there, then who knows, I may be dead. So all of this stuff is kind of like, okay, maybe it was, it was like predetermined. I don't know, but that's other stuff that. Hey, uh, yeah. Maybe, no, who so, knows? It, it's hard yeah. to, like I've, I say to people, like it's, it's hard, but when, when that kind of level of coincidence comes in, it almost feels spiritual. I don't, again, it's hard for me to find what that means. And again, there's a difference between it's, it's, if you think about it, there's a big difference. But on the surface, me saying, oh, well, again, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I don't think it's all predetermined. But I believe that as things are happening, positive energy can be drawn towards something. Or there, there, there are things like something drew you to that today, that day, like some series of things happen that are so astronomically, the odds are against that you know, that, that energies can come together. I believe in the energy, in the energy thing. And, and maybe we can't figure out what that is. There's a lot of things that a human brain can process and there's a lot of things it can't. And um, I just think that there was more to you being there that day. I mean, who knows how many people, again, if he kills you, he's, he's going to keep going. He's not going to stop. Someone had to stop him. The cops didn't no. have him yet. He could, if no. it was, if it was only that, if it was only that subway car, he would have, you know what I mean? He would have taken out yeah. another half dozen people. Um, so anyway, anyway, I, I, outside of that story being so unbelievably, unbelievably positive and unique and spectacular for so many reasons. Tell us why. So you, I mean, I thought it was a slam dunk. I'm like, there was cops there. You're not getting, you know, you're going to get a big payday out of this. The cops are right there. And you know, people are witnessing this so i was thinking at first well you know unless joe's shooting the shit you know he's <laughs> he's gonna win this court case because there's people and sure enough though am, am i wrong I'm, I'm going again on memory but i know you so well didn't the people collaborate your story pretty much to the word but you it was something to do with that you you explain i don't know yeah no so basically what happens is um the reason why i sued the city was because when i first when I'm telling you the story that um, this guy's banging on the door and he's trying to get into the, into the engineer's compartment and he thought he was speaking to the engineer, he was speaking to the police. Okay. So the conversation he's having with the police now it's, it is like you see on TV when they, when they uh, are looking for someone, they, I don't know, you know, I don't know where technology was back then in, in 2011. I don't necessarily remember if everything, if everyone had smartphones or whatever, but they're literally given the mugshot of this guy. Everybody knows what this look like, looks like. So the two cops on the train were on that train specifically looking for the guy who was now banging on the door, banging on the other side of the door. So now if they actually do their job and come out and do something, you may not be talking to me about this. You might just be having me on the show because I'm just an awesome guy, you know, but, uh, but no, it, it's, it's true because if they had come out and done anything, he, they would have had him right there. And basically, in my opinion, it's a career-defining arrest. Like, if you're a cop, don't you want to be the cop that stops the guy that killed four people? Like, 100%. You, so this is what I'm saying. But instead, and keep in mind, now, I gave you my uh, height and weight and everything. There were two cops. It was a male cop and a female cop. The male cop 
bigger than me, by the way, uh, has a nightstick, has a gun, and has the element of surprise because while they're talking, he knows who he's talking to. He knows he's talking to Maxim Gelman. Maxim Gelman thinks he's talking to the engineer. He has no idea he's talking to the police. So this guy, Terrence Howell, the male cop, he has everything going for him, and he still chooses to not do anything. And as a matter of fact, when we had to um, testify before the grand jury, he did testify that when we started to tussle, he started to come out. But then he thought that Gelman had a gun, so he closed the door and stayed inside. So what he basically admitted to was leaving a train full of unarmed passengers with a guy with an eight-inch knife that's stabbing people while he stayed behind a locked steel door for his own protection while he has a gun. So why, just to even go right back to the beginning, why did the cops yeah. not get in your side of the train? Isn't that the side that if he got on, you're going to have to protect people? Like what, why wouldn't they well, be on I, your side to begin with? They, they were on the other side of the door because they were, uh, because they had word that he was in the tunnels. So they were driving with the engineer going forward. So, cause they didn't know he was on an actual train. They knew that okay. the reports they got where he was in the tunnel. So that's why they were in with the driver. And that's why they were going super slow because they wanted to, you know, like the, the ah, trains have headlights basically on them. So they were basically watching the tracks to see if they see him. That's why they went right in with. Yeah. Him. Okay. Okay. Now yeah. I get it. So specifically looking yeah. for anything that might be peculiar, anything yeah. out of the ordinary whatsoever. They're, they're honing in on. They're making sure that they're going to investigate it and they're on guard because they know that there's a possible killer in the vicinity. Yeah. And then, and then they and then see this guy acting killer, like this. And then the killer they're looking for basically hands himself to them on a silver platter and they take the coward's way out. That's amazing. Um, and what's yeah. your, by the way, Joe has a book about this. What's the name of your book again? Uh, it's called the New York Subway Hero: My Battle with Eve, uh, with uh, Spree Killer, with Evil and the Spree Killer. It's a horrible title. I self-published the book. Probably the easiest thing to do if anyone is interested in it. Just uh, go to Amazon and just put in my last name, L O Z I T O, and it'll come up. Please do, please do, yeah. because uh, I thought, you know, in being through what you went through, and I mean, you know, nothing against. There, uh, police are always in a tough position, but there's good police and there's bad police. You know, that's it, just the way it is. Yeah. Most people, they got into the, like, Joe, you're, you're a kind-hearted person and you're, you're the type of leader, you know, like I've always said, you've been a good, you'd be a good captain in hockey. Well, they got into their job for the wrong reason. The very, yeah. the very, the epitome of why you're a police officer happened right before their eyes and they had a chance, but they didn't do it, right? Yeah. And nope. it was instinctive, but they really showed their colors. Had they been able yeah. to think it all out, who knows what would, but I'm just saying instinctively they didn't, and that's a mistake. So I'm not here to say that fuck the whole, you know, New York Police Department, but in this case, I really thought, I really thought that you would come out on top uh, of the court case, I mean. So I really encourage people to buy this book. <laughs> I should be, I, I hope it sells a mil million copies, man, because oh. you'd you deserve well, not not to mention um, the stress that it caused and the scars, the physical scars and mental. Well, what I will tell you is uh, because I think you actually asked me, and I don't think I answered it. So the reason why I sued the city was because of that. Ha what happened, and 
my case was, I didn't actually get my day in court. My case was actually thrown out. Uh, I did not even get my day in court, which I want everyone to understand. If I had my day in court and I went to court and I lost, I could live with that. All right. I'm not going to like it, but the process went, you know, went through the process and I had my day in court and if it didn't go my way, then so be it. But I was never given my day in court because of um, a, a law that says the police do not owe a duty to protect, if you can believe that, okay? And what I also what I want everyone to understand is I'm not one of these people where if a cop does something bad to me, I paint the whole force with a broad brush. I'm, I'm still very much, listen, I admire the police that get up every day and actually do their job. They have my the utmost respect because I can't imagine going to do a job every day where you may not come home. So my sister is a retired NYPD officer. Uh, I have a few cousins on my wife's side that are retired NYPD officers. So people like uh, for a police officer that has a family that goes out every day and knows that, hey, I might not come home tonight, but still goes and does the job. I have a ton of respect for that. So just because I happen to be on the train with two pieces of garbage, I don't paint the whole force with that broad brush. And I know sometimes people do, but I don't. Well, thanks for saying that, though, because in these times, I find... Uh, you know, there's just politics and the media and everything can be so divisive. And, and whenever something happens to a, a by or to a police officer, everybody takes one side or the other. And yeah. I, I shouldn't say that it's, it's divided, but it's often divided and it shouldn't be about the police department in general. It should be about that person. Like we're looking yeah. at the United States, which has 400 million people. Obviously there's going to be some bad apples, but if yeah. I, if I learned, um, you know, about the NHL because I followed Billy Tibbetts, then I'd be shit out of luck. You know what I mean? If, if I followed yeah. just ev ev the, the, the bad things about each sport or organization, it would never lead me to a good result because police, most of them are there to do the right thing, but some of them are there for a paycheck and some of them are just pricks. But that's the way yeah. I, I can say that about any business or any hockey team or any hockey league or any sport. So thank you for saying that, though. But I, because I'd be pissed off and it'd be fucking hard for me to look the other way. But you've separated it into, uh, you know, personal and uh, you know, public, which is great. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think your analogy is great because, for you know, you listen. You're you're a former player. I'm sure the majority of your audience is listening because you're a former player. And I guess your Billy Tibbetts example is great. You know, because the reality is, for every Billy Tibbetts, there's 50 Jerome McGinless, you know, guys who are just solid citizens and great with the fans and great with everybody. So like you say, you can't look at the NHL and think, oh, they're all like Billy Tibbetts because they're not. There's more Jerome McGinless in the sport of hockey than way more Jerome McGinless than Billy Tibbetts. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I remember even talking with you over the years. One of the themes of my book is, um, you know, I, I think that it, a dressing room can be a metaphor for life. You know, you see the leaders, you see, and as you climb the ladder, you know, you see the more and more like, you know, the, the leaders in the NHL are just the best, you know, and, and you can't play on any hockey team that's worth its weight uh, if, if you don't have some sort of sacrifice, whether that's blocking a shot or hitting, it doesn't always have to be fighting. But I've, I've often said that, and you've often said that to me. I'm like, you know, why do you love it so much? And, and, and you know, that's why guys like us are drawn towards the fights too. To me, it's... It, it's it, people miss the point if they think I, I, I want to see someone's head get bashed in. It's it's excitement first of all. It's uh, it's the it's it's emotion right there. It's hard to drop that kind of emotion 
uh, in any sport and see it there. And if you're willing to drop your gloves, man, and you're willing to block a shot that's going 105 miles an hour from Shea Weber, or you're willing to get hit by Eric Lindros, like, you know, it's all part and package of, of, of the same kind of idea. You're looking at people where they're hard on their sleeve, right? Yeah. And, and there's yeah, this mean, psychology to it. If you let me, let me pontificate a little bit. So for people, this is what I usually say to people that criticize the enforcers and guys who fight. And, and to me, this will give you a little insight to why I respect guys like that and guys like yourself so much. So, I mean, and, and I'm going to be preaching to the choir here because you know this. So for people that, people that always criticize it, I say, imagine being five, six, seven years old and being from a small town, whatever, and you go and you're the best player in your town. By far, you're, you're scoring 100 goals a season in like 30 games, whatever. And you're like the Wayne Gretzky of your league because you're, now you're the big fish in the small pond. And as you get older and as you get older and as you get older, now all of a sudden you're not such a big fish anymore, but the pond is getting gigantic to the point now where the pond is the world. And now you're a guy who maybe was a scorer when you were 10 years old, but now you're 16, 17 years old, and now you have to make a decision. I want to I make it to the NHL. And maybe I can't make it just on my skills. So maybe I need to play a little more physical. Maybe I need to fight. And it's the sacrifice that that, that person makes that I respect so much because it'd be easy for a guy to just say, look, I'm never dropping the gloves. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to make it anyway. And then what happens is all of a sudden that pond is worldwide and now you don't have a chance. But it's got – like I'll take you for instance. Terry, you know, I know you, you always uh, you know, make fun of yourself and everything. But your, your skill that you had, you never had to fight. Okay, uh, a guy like Brad May, he never had to fight. But part of what made you guys attractive to scouts and to teams was because you brought that extra element. And what's noble about the role and why I enjoy it so much and why I respect you guys so much is because I'm not being dramatic when I say you guys are putting your life on the line for other people. So you're sacrificing your livelihood. And it's, I mean, listen, it's dramatic to say your life, but you're sacrificing you're sacrificing yourself so other people get the glory and to me i don't know how anyone can criticize the people who do that call them goons call them cement heads call them this because to me it's the most noble role in sports it's it's like the offensive linemen in football the only time you know about them is when they do something wrong and they're doing their job just like the hockey enforcer and the guys who play physical you're doing your job so that other people can get the glory and i don't know how anyone can be critical of that uh, no, and you know what? I thank you a lot for thank you for saying that. And no, I appreciate you saying it because uh, it needs to be said in these times. And I know I get that the game's changing a bit, but when as it is, and, and people are quick to knock the enforcers. And I often say, if I took all the teams that I played junior or pro on, even now in senior, if you really, if you want to extend it, um, they're always the most charitable. They're always, and I mean with money and time. Look at after every game that you went to, who were the happiest people to be there? Like, you know, I'm trying to, let's just spitball a few people that I came across that I either know or I respected that I played against. I don't know. Steve Parsons, uh, Jason McDonald's, Scott Parker. I, I only met him once, but Jesus, did he love going out there for his teammates, you know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Ty Domi was great to me. Um, if you look at my Facebook, you know, and there's a respect and there's a, there's a, a real commonality amongst us like if you were to look at my facebook and you were to take every category of hockey player well like of the guys that i'm not actually friends with anyway because they played with me like 70 percent would be from that era i don't know well frankie lasard i mean we hated each other yeah. <laughs> you know um 
and I could go on. There's so many. Uh, Andre Waugh. Uh, there's Lap. Guys, guys. Anyway, it's it's slipping my mind. But there's, I could go down the list. Dennis Bombard. Like there's a bunch of people that we just have in common that we went to war like that for our teammates. And there's a real, I won't say satisfaction, but. Uh, that that the, when you succeed as a team, you know, and those kind of people, and I'll I'll say the same thing for shot blockers. Like to me, I'd look and go, "Oh my God, how's he doing it?" The first guy I ever saw like that didn't get appreciated for that in the NHL was Mark Bureau, and he, he was just this average NHL player, but he could really take faceoffs, and he would put his whole body in front of there. Trent McClary blocked one of his neck. Remember that? Yeah, like, yeah. Those those are major sacrifices, and and I think. Um, when it comes to hockey, you know, you're out there and it's physical. And I hate, you know, people over, overuse the word warrior. But if, you're, if you go to war or soldier, right? But if you do go to war, the ultra, ultimate sacrifice is death, right? And that you, yep. within sports, it's the, it's the ultimate sacrifice to, to go out there and to take, knowingly know that you're going to take bare knuckles in the head and do it. And a lot of people do it knowing they're going to lose. They just do it because someone got to stop this guy or someone got to – he can't intimidate the whole bench. And, and to see how that plays out is a real storyline in itself over the course of a year, right? Some well, guys pull and shoot when they go into certain games. You see what they got. You really know who got the jam, right? But you need to know because by the time you get to the hockey playoffs, usually in pro, whether it's the NHL or not, you got four rounds of seven games. The NFL, which I respect, has 16 games all season. Yeah. Right? You get mm-hmm. to play. Yeah. <laughs> so – Anyway, I'm elaborating on, on what you said, but thank you for even bringing it up. Um, no, and I think, um, you know, um, there's a guy that we both know that I think we both have a lot of affection for, Sean Thornton. And yeah. think about the road he took to get to where he was. You know, like he could have been buried in St. John's. He could have been buried in Norfolk and, or Norfolk. And all he did was need someone to give him a chance. And they opened the door a little bit. And he barged through the door and now has two Stanley Cup rings. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, you feel good. And you know what the other thing is? Another another part of the reason why I respect you guys so much, and, and I'm going to sneak this story in, um, is because you guys are all good guys. Even today on Twitter, I was having a conversation with uh, someone about Mick Lakota and talking about, you know, like what, what I've, you know, guys I know and all this other stuff. And I'd venture to guess that your Facebook friends and my Facebook friends are probably 60, 70% same yeah, people. I got Mick um, on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I said, you know, when I first started, talking to you guys talking to your, your the enforcer types and everything and trading fight tapes and this and that if the first few guys i met were assholes i probably would have stopped but the fact is the guys who do the job are the nicest guys like you said the most charitable guys and everything and um so let me tell everybody how i met terry i'm gonna because i remember this this is exactly Good, I, I was gonna get to this next you read my yeah, mind go ahead yeah so there's a game in albany albany versus fredericton okay and the way that I guess your equipment guy did it before you guys went out for the warm up, he'd line the sticks up in the, the walkway. And I would, whenever I wanted to meet someone, I always try to, you know, make contact during the warm up or whatever and then see you after the game. So I'm, I'm just sitting there looking back. And at that time, the guys I wanted to meet were you and Brownie and Big Jerry. Okay. So I'm sitting there. It's before the warm up started. They just opened the doors. I look over by the sticks and there you are. You're in your. Uh, shorts and you know remember the uh, the blue the long sleeve blue undershirts that everyone yeah. always used to wear so you're in that and I'm like hey I said um, Terry and you look over and I'm like come here and you were like me and I go yeah Terry Ryan right and you go yeah 
I go, yeah, come here. And, I, and that's the first. And you were just, you were absolutely dumbfounded that somebody, <laughs> I guess, outside of Newfoundland knew who you were. Or yeah, I, I guess you weren't expecting it. And I'm like, oh, I bought you some tapes and everything. And it was just like, you, even when you walked away and I saw you after the game, you still had that look of, why does this guy want to talk to me? You know, and it's just a fun story because I wish I, I'm picturing your face right now. And I wish I could give that to all the listeners because it was really something to see. It was just like, you're like me, like, why would you want to talk to me? But yeah, I mean, and, and um, you know, so that was it. And, and uh, you know, like I always have fond memories of that because you were, you were basically the bridge in Fredericton for someone like me because your first year you had you and Brownie and Jerry. And then those guys. Jerry Fleming, on. he's talking about. Yeah. Jerry's huge. Yeah. yeah, Jerry Fleming. And then after that is when you guys just had a third of your team was just these maniacs. And that is one of the most fun teams I remember with Darcy and, and Ash and Gordy Dwyer. And, um, you yeah. know, who else was like, you know, you had a bunch of guys. But that is actually, that is the actual story about the first time we met. You could not believe that someone wanted to talk to you and give you stuff. You know, because I never really even grew out of being a fan. Like, I, I was still, I was starstruck going into the room, like, three years into it all. Like, I, I just always considered it such an honor to play professional, let alone, like, the NHL. It, yeah. The way it all went down, I don't think a lot of people maybe at the time realized that. I, I know after my book they did, but that was it. So, and, you know, you were a cool dude. I, I just, I, I, I it's great because I looked, even then I looked at it all like a journey. Like I, I couldn't believe I was at the, still near the beginning of this crazy journey, you know? So all that would really excite me. And you yeah, know, no, to be in uh, a place like New York, it was one of the first times I was in a populated place like that. Like I, you know, I played St. John's, I went to Quinnell and then I went to tri cities, which is in the Western league, but it's kind of out of the yeah. mix, you know, and it's decent size, 150,000 maybe, but really spread out. No, there's no elevators in tri cities. So like, <laughs> Um, type things. Um, but that was it. And then you know, I went into Montreal, and that was just blew me away. My first camp and all that. But by the time I got to the American League, and then you know, I'm playing in Fredericton, so yeah. I, I, I still didn't. I, and I even got to play one or two exhibition games down around that way. But more than that, but you know, you, you're in and you're out. It was honestly one of the first times that I got to actually interact with people in the Eastern seaboard, which is, you know, I always wanted to visit it, it all bloomed. Everything about that whole experience, meaning the years and the people I met in the culture still blow yeah. me away. It, it, it's, it was so awesome to meet all you. Um, a lot of that was Americans that I met. I, I didn't meet Americans that were into the game other than out in tri cities and yeah. they were great people, but the game was kind of new to them out there. You guys, you know, you, the Islanders are, have a huge history behind them, right? Yeah. You grew up, mm -hmm. and the people in Tri-Cities were just getting to kind of, I'm not knocking Tri-City, they were great fans. It was such a novelty that they were better fans than most places I ever played. But they yeah. didn't know the game as much, right? Uh, yeah, and I mean, like I said, the, to prove my point, like that night I, I met you and Brownie and Jerry. And if you guys were assholes, I, that would have been like, wow, I drove three hours up here to Albany and uh, meet these guys and they're all dicks. But I mean, you know, I mean, you know, Jerry, you know, Brownie, you guys couldn't have been better. And it was like worth it was the ride home was just great. I saw a good game. I probably saw a few scraps and the ride home was great because I had made three new friends. It's funny because I know you, I love how you mentioned us because we all remain friends like a couple of months don't go by that I don't contact one of those guys in, in some way or another. Uh, What's Jerry and, doing nowadays? 
Well, so Jerry, well, you knew he was overseas and he spent, he spent a long, he was coaching uh, from Fredericton. He went down, he was assistant coach in the East Coast League, then he became head coach. Yeah. Then he went out, coached in Bakersfield yeah. uh, and, and then Oklahoma City. He was kind of going through the ranks mm -hmm. in Edmonton, but yeah. he, got a, um, he, he got an opportunity to go overseas and uh, he was in Germany. God, I can't. Okay. To my, I forget exactly which city, but now yeah. I, I don't think he's signed for next year. And now this might, this might throw a monkey wrench into everything. I'm not quite yeah. sure. Uh, so who knows? I wish him luck, but Jerry has a great reputation, uh, of course, yeah. or he wouldn't keep getting jobs. And for yeah, that reason, he knows the game, but he, Jerry was coaching me when he was playing with me. And then, you know, yeah. the, the first year and then the next season he became our assistant coach, but Jerry didn't change. Jerry's always been, even when he played, he was a great liaison between myself and, say, Ray Jean Houle, even though he was only a player, uh, or, or, or Michel Therrien, who was my coach at the time, who was the GM of Montreal, because he could really relate. He was getting to that age, and he could relate what a young guy could, could maybe, you know, I would be rough around the edges talking to the Montreal Canadiens GM. He'd kind of do it for me at times, and he was only a player. He wasn't really employed as player development or anything. It was yeah. completely didn't come, take me by surprise when he became a coach because he was doing that anyway. And a lot of people can learn X's and O's, Joe. It's how you, it's how you deal with people. Right? Well, and I mean, he, he got you know, hands-on basically being the good cop to uh, Mike's bad cop uh, in Fredericton because I would imagine a lot of you guys really would uh, go to him and confide in him and different things. And, you know, just uh, like, you know, just another example, when they retired his number in Fredericton, and uh, next time I saw him, I'm like, man, I wish I could have seen the ceremony. And like a month later, I got a videotape in the mail from Jerry of the ceremony. It's just the, the, the class of guy that Jerry is and that you are. I mean, it was just like I didn't even ask him for it. It's like, oh, I wish I could have seen it. And a month later, I got it in my mailbox. So um, oh, I love you guys, man. You guys are the best. Well, listen, thanks. I really appreciate the compliments. And it's awesome to talk about all these old experiences because, uh, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't long ago, but it was kind of thing. It was culturally for sure. Um, so what, what, what are you doing now and what are you thinking about in the future? What's up? Well, uh, right now, um, I'm, I've been at Lincoln Center. That's where I was working when, uh, when everything went down. I've been there for 10 years, fortunately. Uh, I still have my job. We're working remotely from home. Uh, so I'm very fortunate in that respect. Uh, and for fun, I have my own podcast. It's called Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box, as you might imagine. Uh, I have a lot of Swedish and Finnish goal scorers on my show. No, of course I don't. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's basically a podcast that I have. Um, and anyone that had any sort of affiliation with the Islanders, whether it was uh, with the big club or with the uh, American League team or uh, East Coast, whatever, as long as if you're drafted by the Islanders, you played any games for them or the minors, it's open season as long as you played physical. So, uh, so I've done a few episodes of that, and um, I love doing it because just like we're doing now, and even though we've been reconnected now for a bit, uh, it gives me the opportunity to reconnect with a lot of guys that I may not have spoken to in 10, 15 years. And uh, it's just me, and um, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, basic. I have a 90,000-year-old laptop and a $20 um, gamer headset, and uh, I just do the podcast and have a great time. And uh, I've, I think I've done 10 episodes, uh, or I've had 10 guests. I, I should say that. I actually had to break my Nick Fakoda episode down into three episodes because uh, we ended up speaking for about seven hours, if you could believe it. So, uh, so I had oh, to uh, break that down into three episodes. So uh, if anyone out there wants to listen to it, it's on all the platforms. Uh, it's called Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. And uh, 
I love doing it. And I uh, just had um, AHL legend Kerry Clark on there now, Wendell's brother. Uh, that's the latest episode. So uh, if uh, people don't mind give, checking it out and uh, rating and reviewing it and subscribing, that'd be great. Well, listen, uh, I highly encourage people to do that, and I will help you in any way I can, be in retweets or whatever you're going to plugs on social media. But if you want me to be a guest sometime, no problem at all, because yeah. uh, I really appreciate you doing this, but I, I, I do that anyway. And I really do. you got a great story. That's why I'm going to need another segment out of you, too. What I normally yeah. do, as you know, the first time I get someone on my show that's a buddy, I try to go like a little bit chronologically through their career. In your case, you know, I wanted to go through that story and our history. And now the next time, maybe I had put Olin on yesterday, when there's a repeat guest, you know, we get into other things. I'd like to get your perspective on a lot of the players that, you know, that we have in common that uh, we came across and, yeah. you know, the game today and not, not all fighting versus not fighting. I love your perspective. And as, when it picks up again, I'd like to get you on once in a while and, and maybe get your playoff predictions and things like that. Uh, yeah, so just Say the word. Say the word. You got me, man. I, I, I go through a wall for you, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. I know you would. That's why you're a good friend, and I love your perspective. Uh, you know, a lot of times people that watch as much hockey like, like yourself have to come out of it with a good knowledge, as I know you do. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been Joe Lazito, and thank you very much, my friend. We'll talk again soon, and uh, we'll see you on the Twitter box tomorrow. Thanks, buddy, and say hi to mom and dad, okay? Okay, buddy. See ya. How about that, eh? What a great guest and what a great guy. A lifelong friend, or most of it, with uh, my buddy Joe Lazito, most of my adult life anyway, and just a gem. Great person. No wonder he's the Subway hero. Thanks again for showing up, Joey. Thanks for coming on my podcast. And I shall return the favor pretty soon. One, only one thing I want to say before I go regarding earlier stuff. Uh, I was talking about athletes and, you know, athletic accomplishment versus you know, number of sports you play or whatever it might be. That was only speculation. I didn't even get halfway through. I would have brought up my friends like Carl English, one of the best athletes ever from the province. You can make an argument that he would be the best um, professional basketball player. How many of those do we have? Um, the answer is zero. Um, well, one, <laughs> Carl. Um, he, Liam Hickey, my buddy, who plays in the Paralympic Games in the summer and the winter. He's on the sledge hockey team. And he's on the basketball team. Uh, I, so I don't know. He, he might, I mean, that's accomplishment and it's diverse athleticism, right? Uh, so maybe there, it's a great conversation to have. Maybe I'll get Brendan McCarthy or Robin Short or Kenny Oliver or one of those guys from the Telegram, one of my reporter buddies from town, get them to come on. And maybe that's an idea for a show, um, a Newfoundland version. And uh, we've had a lot of great athletes and it'll just lead to some great conversations. Uh, in any case, we shall do it one time, but I don't want to offend anybody because earlier wasn't that conversation. I was merely bringing up things that were related to being an athlete, and uh, I kind of got cut off by myself because I talk too much. Anyway, I'd like to thank CoolHockey.com. If you want to go there, you can use promo code THPN, which is short for the Hockey Podcast Network, for a discount on any purchase, uh, any, any purchase at all, actually. It's a hockey jersey store. Uh, if you'd like to support us by visiting Patreon, go to patreon.com slash the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, Penny Posh, uh, Women's Wear Reimagined. And remember, if you buy anything from Penny Posh, pennyposhdesigns.com, or you can just send me a message. Uh, my 
ex-wife, Danny Ryan, runs it, and she's great at what she does. And we uh, still really get along, and we're friends, so I like to support her. If you'd like to order a Pretty Posh hoodie, which are on for $69.99 now, uh, COVID virus discount down from $129.99, so it's almost half price. Um, I'm going to throw in a signed picture and a signed hockey card, and the next lucky five people to order will get a signed card from my dad, too. And I say five because we've only got nine or ten left, and I want to keep four or five because you never know what can happen. So, But the next four or five, like I said, will get Terry Ryan's senior hockey card as well. I'd also like to thank the Princess Penny podcast, and check that out. If you're still listening to me uh, two hours in, yap right now then i think you'll like the princess penny podcast it's my daughter she actually has made she wanted to make a go of it she was not coerced by me and i think she's got a pretty good job done it's 20 minutes i helped her out a little bit but it's all her and it's called the princess penny podcast episode one already came out go check it out it's on spotify uh or or check out volume two, which is going to be released on Sunday or Monday, actually Monday or Tuesday. I don't want to put too much pressure on my buddy, Dylan Kayser, who's helping me out, but we'll record it on Monday. So tune in early next week. I'll also have another episode of Tales with TR for you just in a few days. We're going to do two a week now, and I, I see no reason why we can't. Thanks again, guys, for the new microphone and set up because I wouldn't be able to have a guest if it wasn't for you guys. So our format went back to exactly what I wanted it to be. I hope you were entertained today. I certainly was. Thank you, Joe Lazito. Thank you to my sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, stay safe and stay active, but be smart about it. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.